0: Well, good evening, church. Welcome back to our Sunday night teaching time. We're in a series, Renewed in the Spirit of Your Mind, Knowing How the Life of God Gets Inside. We started a two-part teaching last Sunday night, Why the Things of the Spirit Take No Root in Some People's Lives. It's, It's not a theoretical issue. It's really practical. You, you can have a church like Cedarview. You can have a person sitting over here, person sitting over here, two Christian people in the same church, reading the same Bible, hearing the same teachings, singing the same hymns, worshiping with the same songs. And one person grows in the things of the Lord. They seem alive to that person. There's a love for Jesus that kind of transcends other affections. Somebody else virtually indifferent hasn't grown spiritually in years, you wonder where they're at. Why is that? How come some people thrive in the life of the Spirit and other people don't seem to make any progress at all? That's what we were looking at. I looked at two texts last Sunday night, and I want to look at the same ones right now. The first is Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. Get a Bible. Look at these verses, Romans 8, 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And the other reference I want to look at is 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. 1 John two fifteen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's a strong phrase. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So we're, we're halfway through looking at the issue of the title, Why the Things of the Spirit Take No Root in Some People's Lives. And we kind of went over two principles last Sunday night. First, this great contest between heaven and earth is to see... Which of them will draw out our love? Certainly God is almighty, big enough, strong enough that he could destroy Satan and all the works of darkness right now. Why doesn't he do that? Well, God isn't out just to show that he's more powerful. He's out to show that he's more desirable, to draw out our love. And so we live in a world where Satan still is active He's at work. It's a fallen creation. He tempts. He sets up false idols. And and the way we demonstrate and glorify God is when I choose and love him when there are still other options for my affections. But God is more desirable. I prize him. That's how God gets glory in this world. And secondly, spiritual-mindedness, it manifests itself as... As love for God and the First John text, you, you can't love God while you love the things of the world. No one can serve two masters. So there's the positive emphasis. You can, you can, as a church, just try really hard to get people to love Jesus more, to love God more. You sing the right songs, you have the worship times. But that's going to bear very little fruit if at the same time that church doesn't learn to not love the world. You you can't just add a love for God onto a life that is absorbed with the things of the world. Those things, you can't love those things if you're going to love God. So you have to not only love God, you have to unlove the things of the world. Those were the first two principles now let's look at points three and four, and we'll wrap up this two-part teaching. So point number three, if you take one and two from last Sunday night. Point number three, we can't change the direction of our love on our own. But God has, in his sovereign grace, it's all his initiative, enabled us to build the forms of love, which he will fill with the presence and power of his Holy Spirit. I know that's a long point. I kind of have a reputation for that. It's almost a sermon in itself. But I couldn't see leaving any of it out for fear of being misunderstood. I'm not describing some kind of human works spirituality. I've already said, especially last Sunday night, we have no capacity to even respond with baby steps on our own in the life of the Spirit. God redeems sinners through the cross of Christ, not people who are already righteous. It's all his initiative. But having said that, it is my role, it's our role as followers of Christ to to build outward forms of godliness, and I'll explain what I mean by that, so that the Holy Spirit can fill them with his life and power. And the primary means used by the Holy Spirit to transform the life of the disciple is a redirected thought life. That's what this series is all about. Renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's a phrase right out of Paul's writings. So let me explain. This process, it involves both a negative step And a positive step. And I think it might just be the most glaring mistake of much of North American Christianity is to to try and manufacture some kind of, I don't know, inward spiritual energy while excluding this negative step. And I want to talk about that. So this would be point A. The negative step if I'm going to build the forms, the forms of godliness in my mind that the Holy Spirit can fill with life and power, the negative step is not to love the world nor the things that are in the world, 1 John 2.15. So, not surprisingly, our thought life, it's, the thought life seems to be uh, ground zero in the battle for spiritual mindedness the the principle here is whatever i give most of my attention to that's the thing that will draw out my love and affection that just makes sense i think we all know that and what we love tends to direct the whole life what we love causes us to give ourselves to what we love. What we love ultimately controls us. What we give our attention to, we will love. Okay? What we love will ultimately control the rest of our life. That's the principle. So, so in other words, as you set your mind on earthly things, I didn't say wicked things. I said earthly things. As you set your mind More and more, on earthly things, you will become increasingly content to live your life without any spiritual dimension. You may not end up an immoral person, you may not end up an outwardly wicked person, but you will definitely never end up a spiritual person. Remember, what we've already studied in this series, you can be a morally good person and still be, in Paul's words, a natural person, a person living life without the power of the Holy Spirit, renewing the mind and the heart. This issue of not loving the world, 1 John, not loving the world or the things in the world, that's... That's the key issue of holiness. I suppose one of the tragic mistakes that it's so easy to make is to think of the pursuit of holiness only in terms of not doing really bad deeds. I think it gets taught that way, or we just get that impression we've grown up in the Christian faith I'm a Christian, so I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't. And you start to define holiness just by not doing bad things. And that is not the primary issue of holiness. That might be the fruit of holiness, the effect of holiness, but it's not the root of holiness in my life. The person who lives his whole life just moving from quitting one bad thing to quitting another bad thing to have that that taken place by something else that will have to be replaced later on is missing the point. The key issue of holiness is not just stopping doing bad things. The key issue of holiness is, is the constant direction, the stream of my thought life, what I give my attention to. What I give my attention to, I will love. What I love will control my life. So that's the negative step. You you, you simply can't fix your attention, love the things of the world, and be a spiritual person and have the love of God, 1 John. You can't do it. So that's the negative step. I said there was a positive step as well. So this is 3B. The positive step is to, Paul talks about it in the Romans text, set your mind on things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. What you think most about, you will love. What you love will control you. Paul makes this point now, set the mind on things that are above. Here's where he does it most vividly. It's in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And Paul says this, If you then have been raised with Christ, that's born again, saved. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now, here's the text we opened with today. Same idea, Romans 8, 5, and 6. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set, notice that verb, set. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So so what we learn there from the Colossians text and then the Romans text, Romans 8, 5, and 6, what we learn is my uh, love for the world... That's so easy for me. My love for the world is not just going to fade away on its own in my heart. And here's what else we learn from those texts. The Holy Spirit is not going to remove my love for the world for me. Here's the simple rule. To think about anything less, do not love the world. To think about anything less, you have to think about something else more. There's no possibility of a vacuum. Our minds are not going to stay empty. So, so this is where great care and discipline is needed. It's, it's a terrible mistake to think of spiritual growth as sort of automatic, undisciplined easy, as though because the Holy Spirit is at work, and he is, I'll explain how, the Holy Spirit is at work, well then the whole process will just take care of itself. And that's not true. Even the supreme resting place for saving, sanctifying faith, the cross, that's the resting place, it has to be fed upon with the mind. We, we sing about it all the time. When I survey the wondrous cross. Have you ever seen a surveyor at work? It's not a casual glance. It's this, it's this detailed, slow, cautious, disciplined study of something. That's what Paul has in mind when he says we, we set our minds on things that are above, Colossians. We set our minds on the things of the Spirit, Romans. Paul says that people who live according to the Spirit, what a great term, they aren't just lucky. They aren't just blessed. They've they've done something. They've done something deliberately uh, disciplined, They've set their mind on the things of the Spirit. And that Colossians passage just makes it so clear that it wasn't automatic. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you're saved at all, seek, there's the verb, you have to do this. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, you have to set them. God doesn't do it for you. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on the earth. So, we need to pause. For as long as you live in this present, fallen world, you will always, if you want to follow Jesus, you will always have to be disciplined in fighting for ways to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Nobody's going to do it for you. I, I know where we are now, you know, in this, in this pandemic. Uh, I get it. It's, it's different. It's hard. I just wonder sometimes, while we're always talking about the dangers, you know, how careful we have to be when we gather together in God's house. And that's true. We try really hard. But I wonder if we're as worried about the danger of not coming. When there's this summons, Don, you're going to have to work really hard to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. You're going to have to find ways to do that. What are the dangers of not gathering? Those things right now, Paul says, you have to set your mind on things that are above Colossians text, he doesn't mean above like where the lights are in this room. He means a- above in the, in the sense that they're unseen. No one's going to make you think about this. No one's going to know if you don't think about it. That setting the mind on, on invisible things, that takes a lot of work because there are so many visible things that it's easy to set my mind on. It's very difficult to set your mind on things that nobody sees right now. Your mind has a natural affinity for the things of this world. Because you can touch them, smell them, taste them, see them, buy things with them, accumulate them, admire them, polish them, wash them. Your mind gravitates toward those things. Things that can be placed into 30-second commercials. And, and the spirit of this age just works overtime, primarily through the media, to fixate my attention on these things 24-7, all the time. Remember, what you think about most, you will love. What you love most controls your life. If my mind is going to get saved with the rest of me, I need to set it on things above regularly. Point number four, we're almost done. You and I, as followers of Christ, walk in the Spirit by pursuing devotion to holiness through the ongoing exercise of a holy mind. I want to be just as practical as I can as we wrap up this challenging subject. There are some life-building principles that that come out of these considerations that all of us need to remember because they just bear directly on how we pursue holiness and transformed lives day-to-day in this world. Here's a couple of principles. A, so 4A. Anything that loosens my attachment to the things of this world is good for my spiritual development. Now, I get it. Uh, We we both have different points of of habit and danger and worldly-mindedness. It's not the same in everyone. So the steps will be different for each of us according to the way the Holy Spirit works. But... But for many of us, there will come a call, if we're serious about spiritual mindedness, a call away from uh, the most secularizing influences of our day. There's simply no way to drench ourselves in this world and promote holiness at the same time. It'll never work. B. Any spiritual discipline we pursue to help set our affection on things above, any one of them, it's going to require enough time and effort until our affections become engaged. I need to explain that a bit. Whenever you start in this process of unloving the world and setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, it will take a while for your feelings to get engaged. Until we get to heaven, we will have to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And especially in the early stages of this process, it's hard to sustain just a constant natural interest in the things of the Spirit. So various layers of self and bad habits have to be pushed through, stripped away with with great effort and a lot of perseverance. Now, you don't see that battle in the lives of, pick the Christian saint you admire so much. You don't see that battle in his or her life because it's an internal battle, but they fight it. Just like you'll have to fight it. For most of us, there's a need to remember, this is important. For most of us, we need to remember there is no immediate attraction. I said immediate. No immediate attraction to many of the spiritual disciplines. We're pretty earthbound, naturally. You will always be, you'll always be tired when you set your mind to study the scriptures. You can read other things and you won't be tired. But when you open up God's word, you're always going to feel fatigue. There will always be other important things that you have to get done when there's a call to a time of prayer. There will always be something else that you need to take care of when church is on. Have you ever noticed how much sicker people have to be to stay home from church than to stay home from the cottage? But my point stands as an eternal principle. It's unobserved by the careless, but other people will see it. There will always be something, something usually more immediately appealing that will press itself against spiritual mindedness. But keep pursuing God. Make yourself. Just do it. Whether you feel like it or not, you will gradually, with the help of the Holy Spirit develop spiritual affections that find more delight in those things later on than you find in them right at the beginning. You have to stay with it long enough. If you quit too soon, just because you didn't feel anything great happening, you will wrongly assume that this process doesn't work for you. But that's only because you gave up. You became Distracted before that discipline became enjoyable to your soul. It, it takes time listen, church, it takes time for the Holy Spirit to form Christ in you. And I chose that phrase because it's right out of the New Testament. Look up, Galatians 4:19. And underline it in your New Testament. Galatians 4.19. Paul writes, and listen to what he says. My little children. Okay, so we know he's talking to Christians. He's talking to Christians. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. He led them to the Lord. He's concerned about them. For whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. Listen, until Christ is formed. Now, think about this. These are Christians already. Christ lives in them. He's not talking about Christ in them. He's talking about Christ formed in them. A lot of Christians don't see that distinction. It's a time word until. Stay with this. Spiritual birth, getting saved, that's not the whole deal. That's Christ in you. Work at having Christ formed in you. There's another text. I apologize, you won't see this on the screen because I I just, before doing this, I want you to see this distinction again in the scriptures. It's It's in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. Here are some of the best known verses in the New Testament, but there's something that I think is frequently missed in them. These are the words of Jesus, okay? Matthew 11, 28, 29. Look them up. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Beautiful words. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Did you see the difference? Verse 28. Come. I will give you rest, 29. Learn from me, you will find rest. There's a rest given, and there's a rest found. There's one that's given, just come to Jesus. All your sin, your failure, get saved. Come to Jesus. then learn, and you will find a deeper rest. It's what Paul was talking about when he said, until Christ is formed in you. Not Christ in you, Christ formed in you. Being born is not the whole process. There's a certain anguish of childbirth in that Galatians text. Paul was going through, teaching, discipling these Christians, and the hard part, the part that was as hard as labor for Paul, was pressing them into this mindset of getting Christ formed in them. Here's why, Paul said, that's like, it's like childbirth. The hard part of Paul's work in teaching these Galatian Christians, it stemmed from the fact that it's, it's the same Spirit forming Christ in them as the Spirit giving them new life and salvation. He works in these two ways that are related, but they aren't exactly the same. The first is nothing but a gift. Spirit comes in. Regeneration. The second is having Christ formed in them. Born, formed. The two works of the Spirit. They're closely related. They're both the result of divine grace. And, and now you're right on the threshold of this great discovery, this paradox of the Christian life. God freely gives. He freely gives his richest blessings to Christians who are the most disciplined in setting their mind on the spiritual things, not the things of this world, until Christ gets formed in them. That's a a profound idea in the New Testament, and we've just been kind of scratching the surface. We'll continue with this. These are important studies, these Sunday night studies. You can grow as you get these principles deep in your heart. What you give your attention to, what you give your attention to, you will love. What you love will control the rest of your life. Let the Holy Spirit help in this process of renewing your mind. Let's pray. Christian life is its a big life. There is so much to it, that shouldn't surprise us. Our God, the greatest infinite mind, who created all of this, wants to work by his triune power in our lives to form Christ in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Forgive us for, forgive us for sometimes the indifference or the laziness or just the lack of awareness of how important it is that we don't set our minds on the things of this world. Our culture drills itself into our attention span. But to set our minds on things that are above, the practical ways we can do that count so much. Bless the truth of these words from your word. Bless the truth to our hearts. Give it staying power as we follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church. Love one another.